Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to Lessons by the Lake, the Oswego Private Wealth Show. I'm your host, Ryan Ruff, and as always, I've got my right-hand man, the Managing Director of Oswego Private Wealth, Mr. Bob Bedritus, stopping by, joining us here on the show today. Uh, as always, Bob being known for helping business owners become financially independent of their businesses you know, Bob believes that he they truly deserve to maximize the value of their life's work. And those are the types of conversations that we have here on this show, wealth management-based conversations. And in keeping the same theme as we have had on season two here on the show, we've got a great guest joining us today. Today, we, our guest, Justin Martin, president, shareholder, and attorney at law over at Myatt & Bell, going to be joining us today for a big conversation surrounding estate planning. In fact, today's episode entitled Estate Planning. Planning, the first step in business succession. So we're going to dive into estate planning, how Justin's efforts, you know, go hand in hand with some of the work that Bob and his clients are doing together, but additionally, why that is that estate planning is so pivotal within the greater succession planning efforts. So before we get into that, let's go ahead and bring Bob out. Bob, good to see you this morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, Ryan. Great to see you. Thanks, uh, as always. Um, love having you be a big part of the show, and I'm excited about today's guests and today's conversation. Yeah, always good to be here and be a fly on the wall. We've got some great conversations that we've had so far on the show, and I know we're excited to bring Justin aboard. Bob, why don't you tee this up for our audience, share a little bit about Justin and, and just how you two came to develop the professional relationship that you have. All right. Well, thank, thank you, Ryan. I'm excited to have Justin be a part of our show today, and I'm really really looking forward to where this conversation is going to take us. Uh, Myatt and Bell and Justin Martin have worked with my clients for quite a few years now and have been a great value to the work that we do here at Oswego Private Wealth. And one of the things that we like to say is that uh, in the work that we do with business owners, we find, and high net worth individuals, we find that there are five major concerns of all business owners and all high net worth individuals. And that's number one, they want to make smart decisions about money. They want to make smart decisions about their business. And so they want to be just be intelligent and make smart decisions about those their financial lives. Number two, they want to mitigate taxes and take care of cash flow for their personal lives, for their businesses. Uh, number three, they want to take care of their heirs and make sure that the second generation, third generation, and generations beyond are well taken care of and wealth protection and wealth transfer. And, in, and then in wealth protection, which is number four, is to protect their business and protect their assets and their personal lives against uh, unnecessary litigation and or divorce. And last but not least is to magnify charitable giving. And the work that Justin does is going to touch on all five of those topics. So Justin is a native Oregonian uh, grew up in Tualatin, uh, was a great athlete at Tualatin High School. And uh, when it was time to go off to college, his parents said they would pay for it as long as he went to a Christian college. And lo and behold, Justin used a very scientific method to choose the college he wanted to go to, which one was the furthest away from home base. <laughs> so he chose Liberty University, went all the way to the East Coast for, uh, for college started out as a philosophy major, switched to become a Bible major. Maybe Justin will tell us how a philosophy slash Bible major, who actually did some social, was a social worker uh, in between undergrad and law school, how a guy like that becomes a, a prominent uh, lawyer in, in the Portland area. 
Uh, and again, it's I'm so excited to have you on the show, Justin. Thank you for being here and um, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, Justin, tell us, uh, fill out your resume for me, if you will, or your personal life. I, I gave a little bit of a high level of a, a Tualatin uh, student, scholar, athlete, uh, goes off to Liberty University, uh, ultimately Willamette Law School, and uh, is in a uh, practice of a, of, a, of a fantastic law firm doing estate planning work. Uh, what did I miss? <laughs> tell us a little, tell well, us. I, I guess the, the cliff note version. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I guess there's a lot of years there to skip through, but, um, but I wanted to go to uh, be a lawyer that my junior year of college, and I just took a class from a lawyer and it just seemed to make sense. And, and I got the bug and then, and then I wanted to be a lawyer four months after hanging up a shingle. I started cross-marketing saying, I, I saw that estate planning went with business and a lot of the business folks did that. So I started offering estate planning and did the, the simple wills for the widows and the church. And then my business clients started wanting me to do their estate plans. And that's when my claim to fame was four months after hanging up a shingle, I had four clients with like four to 6 million that wanted me to do their assets, which still is, is, is a, a good sum, which kind of shows you know, maybe the lack of respect for estate attorneys that they would think that I knew how to do it. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're graduated from law school. You can do anything, right? No, but I had to wave the white flag. And, and then I shot myself around to the firms and ended up picking Bob Bell, uh, Myatt and Bell, that uh, the firm, he just had the ethics of another generation. He was in his 70s and, and looking to, to retire. And I was in my 20s. And he just invested in me and, and helped me be able to, to plan the taxable estates, flew me down to California and, and, and just was a great technician and hung out with me for five years. And then I ended up acquiring his practice. So today the firm goes back to 1960 and we've, all we do is, is, uh, is wills and trusts in the, the business succession. So in the prior to the 90s, we were a business succession firm. So we did a lot of business succession work. But, you know, with the age of the firm, once those clients sold their businesses, what does a business firm do? We become estate attorneys <laughs> and we never looked back. So we hung out with the business owner and kept doing the tax planning. So we, we've been a, a pure will trust and business succession firm where we actually stay with the business owner and and not jump ship to go to the 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 buyers of the business uh, for the business aspects. Wow, well, that's a fantastic background. And as you had mentioned, Myatt and Bell has been around since 1960, and so there was a generational shift there. Now you're the managing partner running running the show with some really good attorneys and staff around you. And um, wow, what an interesting background. Thank you so much. So our, our title today is, you know, intriguing to me. And so why do you say that estate planning is the first step in business succession? Well, tongue in cheek a little bit before we get into the material, but mainly because it's easier for business owners to tell us and plan what happens at their death than it is to imagine that they won't be involved in the business. <laughs> so it's uh, then we can back into the, the business succession planning. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of emotions and psychology in business succession. And so starting with, 
our own death is a lot easier to talk about than the the succession of of our business we we find um, yeah and, but, and we talk and we talk a lot uh justin about the human element in our practice and it isn't about x's and o's and and drafting the perfect legal document although that is critical to the process but it is really helping a, a client a business owner uh, determine what their goals, their aspirations, their values are, what they really want to do uh, with their life's work. And that's one of the things that we say is that, you know, we're known for helping business owners become financially independent of their business. Uh, but there's a great value in, and we believe they deserve to maximize the value of their life's work. And that human element and the work that you do dovetails exactly into the work that we're doing here as well. Right. Yeah, that's great. There's there's a lot of different roles that if if we plan on business succession and we have time, you know, a lot of us could still have a role in the business, even though we're we're helping that successor. So I always like the the baton where there is that those moments where we hold the baton together. And and it's it's just another part of life that can be more satisfying than the time that we spent just doing it our, ourselves. So as, as we start to step back, we realize that we could be more in an advisory role. And I've noticed that a lot of business owners really appreciate that role almost more than when they had to do everything. That's fantastic. So walk us through, walk us through the, uh, let's walk through this thesis. Estate planning is the first step in business succession planning. And uh, I know you have a few slides to share. So let's, let's walk through some of those and let's have a conversation on it. All right, let's do it. Peace of mind, being able to take care of our kids, our family, our spouses, oftentimes it can be overwhelming for a spouse to, to envision the spouse's view of our business if, if we were taken out of it because of death, incapacity, or a, another event. So there's the business planning element, which is a huge piece in having some form of plan and, and at the basic level, an estate plan actually satisfies, at least the provides the most basic of, of plans. That's why at the basic level, we say it's the first step. And we can also plan within that for incapacity. Avoiding probate for your business is also a, a huge basic element that the first step will do, as well as income and estate tax planning. So Yes, maybe all of the other ones are minor, but now we're talking about dollars and cents. So this gets people's attention when we bring in the, the estate and income tax planning component of there. And then just the retirement planning, right? We retire to something, we 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 don't retire from something. So we we have there's a life in retirement, I find, even if we're still serving on an advisory board of, of some sorts. So I've I've doing this for 17 years. I've live vicariously through clients. And, and I, I find their schedules are even more packed in retirement than when they were working. Here's the, the basic transaction heartbeat for estate and business succession. So we start off, we do a courtesy plan, a courtesy planning meeting with clients just to give you the information in a one-on-one -on -one tailored period. We have Zoom and office appointments where we start off with that meeting. And being able to do estate planning allows us to see the business in proportion to the rest of, of your assets. Is, is this part of the retirement plan? This is where we work hand in hand with Bob and his team 
to to decide how much do, would we need from the business in order to live comfortably in retirement, even if we keep working in the business so that we can put the business in perspective of the rest of the assets. There's also the estate tax planning purposes. We'll calculate certain tax ramifications that are due nine months after folks pass away. So we'll, we'll discern the liquidity and come up with a plan, even if we pass away while still working in the business, we'll be able to have um, a plan to cover that point in life. There's the document drafting for the trusts and then the estate planning. This is going to be step one in the, the, the business planning because and in the slides that we'll show you keep as we keep marching forward, we'll see that we can have a trustees and, and have a form of, of business planning. This is just the bird's eye view. So then there's estate funding. So in our firm, one of the unique things is that we include funding, which we'll touch on as we, we keep going on here. And then there's the business planning meeting. This might be with some of your key employees or uh, CFO, or just depends on the level of business or shareholders so that we can understand the business through other shareholders' eyes. Or if you own everything, then it's it's just you. And they say, you know, start these 10 years before you sell mainly because you drag your feet for five. No, she's joking. But um, but the the sooner, the more runway we have, there's a lot of psychology in, in business planning of why we need to start early, mainly because once we're ready to, to, to retire, it's hard to negotiate a sale and, and work on the business when on our minds, we've already sold it. So we need to, to make business planning part of running the business on equal footing as the profitability and, and the other other time periods. And then- Yeah, Justin, can I interject just very quickly yes. here? Um, that is, uh, I'm sure you have this situation as often as I do, maybe even more often than I do, um, but I have a client, a prospective client say, I'm considering selling my business. Oh, by the way, I've already identified the buyer. I've already got a, a non-disclosure agreement and I've already started- I've already made some commitments. Uh, not the ideal situation, I know you would agree. And we tend to say that, you know, a, a, in a, there's no ideal situation, but we think that there should be a, optimally at least a three-year runway as we consider this. And we also further believe that every business should be transition ready because you just don't know about that cancer diagnosis that, you know, the, the different things that can happen, changes in the economy. I mean, as we've all gone through COVID and all the crazy things that have happened, you just don't know. And we do believe uh, 10 years is, uh, is, is an interesting time frame and what a very protracted time frame. but we believe that there should be at least a three-year runway uh, to really make sure we cross all the T's and dot all the I's. So once we decide on, on selling, there, there's really two options. It's sell it internally to family or key employees or sell it to a third party. So a, a lot of, of the business succession is really negotiating that sale agreement where it's an asset sale, you know, excluding liabilities. And, and that's, that's where you, you have sophisticated documents that, that end liability and then begin it for the seller. And there's the financing and and, and, and that's often what people think about the, the business succession. And, and that's great, but it's pretty much a sale agreement. That's, that's what it is. 
in our firm, we we always, well, as Bob, you mentioned that the brokers may come in and say, hey, we're selling the business. Here's everything is is written up on this napkin and they're going to close in two months. <laughs> and, 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 and we're always, well, probably not, um, you know, and, and we've always earned our keep, you know, they, they forget to value the inventory. Okay. Was that included in the sales price or not? So it, it, there, there's a lot of, of, of dotting the I's and crossing the T's that go into the sale agreement. There's the accounts receivable and, and then, you know, there's the operating cash, how much money in the business is the seller, especially if we're doing the family or key employees, how much money needs to stay in the business. So there's a lot of details that go into that sale agreement. And, and not and not to mention, of course, real estate. Uh, they, we could own the land, we could own the, we could own the buildings, uh, building in a, in a given business. So all these things need to be taken con into consideration, right? Right. That's that's an excellent point. We've got some slides coming up specifically for that, but it's it's another reason why estate planning is the first step, because we can spot those if if they've got the business wrapped up with the real estate. Yeah, those are those are some automatic. Let's separate that out because that way they're you're you're merging. I mean, if it's not paying rent, then it's not realistic from a buyer standpoint. So starting to to determine what the rent it's paying. Um, and there's some tax benefits for that too. Yeah, excellent point. All right, here's the the business owner. These are all of the terms they're they're throwing around. There's the the putting the shares or the units up for sale. There's how do you value it, the EBITDA. There's all of the agreements that go into not just the sale agreement. Sometimes there's employment agreements if they want you to hang hang on hang uh, work in the business after uh, the customer agreements. Can they be assigned? What are the key customers? A lot of folks, they're like, oh, it runs on me. You know, if you take me out of the business, there's no value. I'm like, okay, well, you're kind of negotiating against yourself. We'll keep that attorney-client privilege, but there's got to be something we can we can transition with with where the revenue is coming from. You know, there, there's some psychology in, in there that bringing in the key employees, locking up key employees through employment agreements, making sure they can stay within the transition, all of that potentially has value. It really depends on, on the, the, the type of business that we're selling. Um, the liabilities, the copy leases, you know, how do those end? Uh, everything down to the copy machine, to the, the facts, if they still have those, but the inventory and, and current, even warranties, the representations we've made to clients, all of that goes into the the sale agreement as well as the profit and loss and the balance sheets. I know Bob's team helps a lot in 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 that aspects as well. So then we mentioned the buy sells, the the bylaws and the NDA. Then you have all of these competing interests that are the enemy trying to interfere with our 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 dreams for our uh, our money that we get when we sell it or the advisory committee that we want to serve on. Uh, incapacity planning, there's probate. We're just going to touch on these with the uh, the mission statements for the company. So I, I'll, it kind of depends on what generation of, of, of business owner we are. I just doing this for a, a living here I'm and, and walking with other business owners, I, I realize I don't ever want to be the cap on the organization that, you know, the business can't grow more than than I'm willing to. And 
and um, even having a mission statement, vision statements that Bob's team I know gets in with as well is working on the business and filling some of this stuff in, especially if we're doing family uh, sales or, or key employees, it, it really becomes a life even beyond us. So the culture that, that we help create as business owners really need to start putting that in writing. And it's another that goes in with estate planning when we start dealing with our families and having the, the, the mission vision statements for families. Bob had mentioned some charitable giving as well. And um, that, hey, we're a family that saves. We're a family that thinks about generational tax planning. Uh, we've also had some of these businesses go six, you know, multiple generations from uh, the founders in 1960 to where we're at now. So we definitely have examples of, of how it does right. The, the first uh, business owners, they're usually, they're not really paying attention to the, the documents, the operating agreements. They certainly don't have employment agreements because they did everything. Uh, but as we transition to the next generation, it puts more emphasis on the paperwork because the business typically gets bigger. I find when I stop doing a certain task, it gets filled in with, with, with a full-time person that then becomes two full-time people. So as we give up duties, the business tends to grow. And when you have more people, that's when the formalities of the business need to be 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 more written down and and more more uh, more definite what do you think bob i i mean absolutely i mean it's it, you're you're exactly right i mean somebody starts a business from scratch and they did everything and they build it up to a certain level um and as there's more complexity in the business by virtue of the growth more employees more contracts more vendors more clients uh, things do need to be systematized and formalized on some level, uh, which is why the virtual family office that we, uh, the virtual family office that we have is we, we do bring in and introduce the business owner uh, to anything from a, the, the strength of the estate planning work that you do, Justin, to even bringing in somebody who can help with the structure of employee incentives and making sure the culture of the business can be reviewed. So they're really infinite number of possibilities of getting the right people involved. This isn't just just the attorney, just the wealth manager. Uh, we do bring in other teammates throughout this process. Okay, moving on. So meet Steve and Grace. They're going to be our examples. In a lot of them, Steve's going to die first. Someone's got to take one for the team for illustrative purposes, but it's biblical. It says it's not good for man to be alone. We're supposed to pass away first because women do completely fine without us. No, just joking, but um, that's the joke. Okay, so here, these are Steve's separate assets. Grace has her own assets and she's got the business shares here. Then they get married. Steve still has separate assets. Grace has separate. The shares of the business are usually separate uh, just by nature of, of the business. And then they also have joint assets here. So the basic point here is if they whoever dies first, if they they pass away, the business shares would have to go through probate at that point. So even if your mindset is what's mine is yours and yours is mine, if you pass away with separate ownership in in a, a business, 
because you have other partners or you don't want to file a partnership return if you just own it in full, then it's an automatic probate. So in probate, there's some assets that have beneficiary designations, mainly insurance and 401k. But when we pass away, all of our assets get locked up. So in this slide, both mom and dad have died and the kids go down to the bank or they go down to try to run the business and they have no legal authority to any of the accounts. So the bank says, nope, we can't even talk to you because we can only talk to Steve and Grace. So the ownership of the accounts, the ownership of the business is tied to, the control is tied to the ownership. So when the owner dies, nobody has any access. And that's the purpose of probate. Probate is a fancy word that just means a court process that has a judge that listens to this stuff all day. We draft a will. A will is like a letter that you draft while you're alive, and it tells the, the judge who's in charge, that's the executor, and who your beneficiaries are. So then the judge reviews that when we die and ultimately signs a court order. And then the executor takes that court order to the bank or the, the business board and says, hey, here's the court ordering that you allow me access to the accounts and the business. And the, the bank says, great, thanks, that's what we need, and the rest is history. But before a judge signs that court order, they require the world to have notice. And that's satisfied by publishing notice in the newspaper for three weeks. So it says who died and how much money you got. And then we got to wait four months for people to bring claims. So it takes like nine months to a year. And if you have a business going through that, it, if you're ultimately going to sell it because somebody just died, well, you have to value it. You have to put a value on that at that time in probate. So now you're telling the whole world what you're valuing it for. You're, you're probably not necessarily getting a formal appraiser. You can at that time, but it really shoots yourself in, a, in your foot if you're going to try to argue a higher you know, value later, especially when, when the main shareholder owner died, plus all of your customers, all of the clients that you're serving, they all know that you passed away. And it, it's just a real killer for the business. You know, Justin, you make, you make such, a good, such a good point um, of probate and why it should be avoided for the most part, because we talk about the trilogy of problems with, with something going through probate. Number one, which you touched on in a, in a big way, is the lack of privacy. All, everybody now knows your business and it's, it becomes public information. And number two is costs. Uh, as it goes through that court system, there's a cost levied on everything on, 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 that you've acquired, uh, the value of your estate, and there's an, a cost. And you know better than I do that that could be a, a significant number, which drains money out of the estate. And uh, it's, uh, you know, cost, uh, privacy, and last but not least, our time delays. And there's a business that's surviving that needs to be run and there are time delays in all of it. So, uh, um, and, and as far as privacy goes, we find uh, there is a nefarious group of people out there that uh, scour uh, the uh, documents and uh, legal proceedings um, all the time. And when they see these large, large estates uh, through the business going through probate, they, um, they come out of the woodwork and they can create quite a bit of havoc uh, for the uh, survivors, as I'm sure you've seen. 
Right. So there, there are places for wills and, and we do some wills, but just with our clientele, we, we certainly do more trusts and mainly for the tax planning that we'll get into. But when you have a business or property in multiple states, even you'd have to have a probate in each state you own assets in. And certainly for the business, for the sake of the employees that are, are trying to get paid. I mean, all, all of that, the probate fees just exponentially skyrocket because it's all under court order with, with the executor work. So at the very basic level, if we put all of your assets in a trust, it avoids probate. So just step one, do get, get your trust for the first step in business succession and, and at least moving it into a trust would avoid that public spectacle of the business. So now when you pass away, well, I guess backing up here, we've got trustors. These are the owners of the assets or grantors. Some firms call it that same thing. Here, you've got the spouse that owns the separate assets. Even though it's in one trust, we can still earmark those assets as separate um, if that's appropriate. And so trustor Steve and Grace. So these would be Steve's separate assets. Grace owns the separate assets there. And then they have joint. And then we're creating a new position called trustee. So here, both Steve and Grace are the owners. They're also the ones that are in control of the assets. So here we have Steve and Grace as trustees. That way, when an owner dies, we're still able to control the assets through the trustee. And then when they both pass, you have successor trustees. So now because it's all done within the terms of the trust, you don't have to go through probate. So probate is avoided. Now, this is where when we get into business succession, we can have different trustees. We could create a special trustee for the sole purpose of, of selling the business. So if there's someone in your your life that you that's just more involved with the business that that you trust to sell it you could earmark that person to be to to be in charge of the the trustee to be trustee for selling the business and then you could have you know a spouse be trustee for all of the other assets if if that's appropriate um and so you can really tailor this to whatever makes sense and so at the very basic level we're not selling anything we're we're you know, not changing how you do business at all, but at least immediately with an estate plan, now you have some form of business succession. At least there's a plan. As well as bankruptcy. So this also goes in, we can draft these as, as, uh, as creditor protection trust. So there's some benefits when we're doing inheritances that we don't have to us for us during life, if we're self-settling it, which means we're putting it into a trust ourselves. There's some fancy Nevada and Delaware type of protections, but I find most people are interested in, in doing that. But there is basic creditor protection when we're actually doing generational planning, when we're incorporating our, our family dynamics. And if we're in non-family uh, generational businesses, this same planning could go into the operating agreement as well, where there's bankruptcy protection. So at least you don't have to buy it back uh, from a, a bankruptcy court. All right, this is another big one that I know Bob gets excited for, 
for tax planning as well. So here we got Oregon and Washington. So this is a state tax. It's it's a real killer, definitely, with with Oregon only excluding a million dollars of our gross assets. And and that's not that's not the book value. That's not what your CPA is reporting on the books. That's actually the fair market value, which is what a willing buyer would pay for the business. So it's typically requiring valuations. And same with the real estate. So, so our real estate, our cash, our 401ks, if you've got any key man or, or key person, uh, um, uh, life insurance, the, the value of, of your life insurance is also included in your assets. And they only exempt a million and tax everything over that at 10 to 16%. A lot of people move to Washington because they've got a little higher threshold at 2 million, uh, but be careful because their top rate is 20%. So somewhere in there, that 15 to 20 million range, you'll end up paying more estate tax in Washington because of that top end figure. So watch out on that. Washington's not fully on the tax-friendly states. So if you're looking to change residencies, we we definitely have some other tax-friendly states we could recommend. In addition to state estate tax, there is also federal estate tax. The feds currently exclude 12 million. 12.9 million is exempt. Being married, you could double it to 25 million. So it's really, it, it's a lot that you can exclude, but the tax beyond that is 40%. So it's a real killer. <laughs> when you're in Oregon, your combined rate, you got 49%. That's almost 50% is going to the government when we die. So if we're building businesses, building wealth, especially generational assets, is ignoring the estate tax is a bad business decision. So planning for taxes is 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 good business planning. So we'll we'll talk about that. Now, even though these numbers are really high right now, these are the Trump tax cuts. So just to put it in perspective. It, it jumped up to 5 million on Obama's watch. Democrats typically want a lower estate tax. Republicans want a higher or no estate tax, just how the, how the game is played. So when it went up to 5 million on Obama's watch, as a state attorneys, we were all amazed that it went that high on a, on a Democratic watch. But that was one of the concessions that Obama made on the Affordable Care Act passage, that was the Obamacare stuff. So as soon as that passed, Obama campaigned on a $2.5 million exemption. That continued through the Hillary campaign. Hillary loses $2.5 million. Trump wins. And look where it goes today at 12.9. Drastic difference. Now, these expire in the year 2025 at which point it goes back to the $5 million threshold, which is indexed for inflation. So it's closer to six or 7 million. So for a married couple, your 12 to 14 million would be exempt. Now we're watching the 2024 election, definitely. I, I you know, can't, uh, uh, who knows what's to come, uh, but uh, we're thinking that it's it's going to sunset and and be go back to the five million index for inflation number because by the time whoever wins in 2024 they're probably not going to have enough time to do anything in 2025 
and it'll it'll automatically sunset. Just to give you a, a number, uh, the Biden administration had campaigned on $3.5 million exemption, which was combined for a married couple would be about $7 million exempt. So there are also, as we'll, we'll end on some of these slides for advanced gift strategies for at least the generational tax planning view, but because we're at $25 million, the highest it's ever been, that opportunity is currently available for gifting. So we're talking about estate tax, but people are like, well, I'm not going to die with that. I'm going to give it away before I die. And the government thought, well, I guess that was a good idea. So there's a tax for that. And they call that the gift tax. So they can either die with it or give it away. So if we're not planning on dying between now and 2025, then we can also use this exemption to gift. And, and we can talk about more about that uh, to come, but we can gift while the exemption is high, even though it goes back to the 5 million thresholds, uh, there's, there's specific instructions that have come out that says you're not going to be held liable for gifts if you happen to gift while the tax uh, um, exclusion is high. So yeah, Justin, that that, that's, Go ahead, that, that's a terrific, terrific point. And yeah, the pessimist would say, oh my goodness, I better die before 2025. Uh, but maybe the more optimistic view is that in those uh, extremely large estates uh, that can comfortably gift $25 million uh, to a trust um, now, between now and next year is a very good time. There's some sense of urgency on this kind of uh, gift tax planning right now with the sunset provisions in the uh, law. Right. And, and this is another concept why estate planning is the first step in business succession, because as we go through with the educational standpoint with business owners, there's been a fair amount of business owners that have actually made some gifts to the kids of the business entity itself prior to a third party sale, so that when they realize the money that comes in, it's also shared with, with the kids which I'll touch on some idgits as, as we, uh, we keep diving into this. But that's in Oregon. That means we can keep uh, assets out of the estate tax for 90 years. Washington would be 150 years. And there's some fancier uh, states like Nevada that's 365 years and, and some other options from there. But so we rely a lot with on Bob's team to, to do a lot of the forecasting with with how much money do I need for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> and it's it's a hard number to come up with. A, a lot of my job is being realistic with 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 folks about how much money they have. I think a lot of us we just put our head down and we work in the business. And when you come see me, I'm talking about estate tax and adding everything up because it's relevant for the amount of tax that we pay. And and I and routinely I'm like, hey, you know, you're 10, 20 million, what you know, five. And and the reaction is like, it's not part of our identity, which is good, right? We're just real people. But being realistic with how much money we have today is necessary stewardship, number one, but also in order to engage in tax planning. So 
if we just ignore it, then the government's going to take almost near half for the Oregon folks here. So, you know, that's a that that's that's a, a huge price to pay for blinders. So Bob's team is great. They can run these Monte Carlo type of forecasts where whatever we are today, then what is that going to be worth in 10 years, in 20 years? So the relevant number is the number of what we pay estate tax on is the number that we die with. And historically, I know we're coming off on some hard times with the stock market, but as the, the curve goes up and down, we've always consistently gone up. So having the plan and being realistic with here's best case scenario would be our net worth when we die. And, and here's worst case scenario. And we'll generally find the worst case scenario is, is still a, um, is still, you know, a lot. And that's usually what causes folks to be realistic in, in how we're spending. And yeah, you can build in vacations and, you know, whatever second homes or however we're, whatever we're going to retire to uh, into those, those projections as well. So this is usually the first step in advanced tax planning is we do these idgets. Okay. Now there's a whole world of crazy names from idgets to eyelets to, to slats and grats and CRTs. All right. I started to just call them irrevocable trusts because that's all they are. <laughs> They're just an irrevocable trust. So in this scenario, yes, we can gift 25 million and there's fractional interest discounts that which I'll touch on in the next page. But I think this is a good place to start, kind of depends on our age and where we're at in life. But when the kids are 18, for some of the younger families that are are, are have good, good um, yearly salaries, you know, we're, we're able to spot it sooner than, you know, a lot of us, we, we gift into 529s and we, we do natural gifting called college, right? So we're, 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 we're historically generally doing this. So instead of doing it into those, this gives you more freedom, you know, especially if you're doing for grandkids. Okay. What is it? Well, it's an irrevocable trust. So here, uh, Stephen Grace, they've got two kids, Frank and Julie. And I like once Frank's 18, if we start moving assets in the max or the, the minimum is the, the annual gifts is uh, in 2020 in this year is uh, 17,000 per person. So that means Steve can give 17,000 and Grace can give 17,000 for a combined total of 34,000. So they can give 34,000 to Frank and $34,000 to Julie. So if we've got a $10 million estate and the kids are young, well, what is that estate going to be worth in 10, 20 years? So it's just overwhelming to think about dumping that on the kids. And, and so we start a generational view of talking about wealth, how best to start it than talking about 34,000. <laughs> so we can start to introduce the kids into the investment world. And after a couple of years, yeah, they've, they've you know, Bob can create these accounts, sub accounts within the investment portfolios. And the, 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 the spirit is not that they just go out and spend it on what, what they want. It's generational tax planning. So the goal is that they're investing it. And, and, and so what's that 34,000 going to be worth in, you know, 30 years. And, and we draft these where they're, they're out of the estate in Oregon, 
by default for 90 years. So that means the money that comes in here is not going to be subject to a state tax. As long as we keep it at this 34,000 number, it's called free money because the government says it's too low. We're not going to care about that. So the sooner we start this, the more time value of money, it really adds up into significant tax savings when we get around to passing away. And then as the kids start to have kids, you can do an additional 34,000 to each grandchild. So Frank has two kids and Julie has two kids, then their two kids plus Julie, that's 34,000 times three to Frank, 34,000 times three to Julie. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I've I've gotten real good stories with with families that once we once we start planning the the business, there, there's you know life after the business. Our our kids, our family become our new business acquisition, and there's a lot of fun stories that we can share where they've just come alive. They've had relationships with their kids because. As soon as we start gifting in a planned way with the kids and the kids start seeing a generational view of it, then they start understanding their place in the family from a generational view. You know, even though we're 40s, 50s or more, there's still a role that a son or daughter plays in that family unit. You know, there's aunts and uncles and 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 the grandkids and you know, multiple generations at the same time. And you know, a lot of folks have been doing these family vacations where they're taking the whole family on family trips. You know, we do business retreats for management teams. All of this, all of the business advice, all of the good business planning works for family planning too. And um, I've just had business owner after business owner really enjoy this time of life, even if they're still serving on an advisory board for their business as well. Well, Justin, I can't thank you enough for walking us through this. This is so complete. Um, I feel like I should be applying for uh, continue, continuing education credits <laughs> at the end of this. That is awesome. Uh, you know, Tip O'Neill once famously said that all politics are local. And I would say a corollary to that is all business planning, estate planning is personal. And what could be more personal than family? Uh, you know, to taking care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and making a difference in the world. And I think we've answered the question why the first stop in business succession planning should be estate planning, uh, because it's foundational to those things that matter most to your family as you move through the process of succession planning for your business. So, Justin, Question for you is how can people reach you? What's the best way to get a hold of you for those who are watching this, listening to this, who are intrigued by the content? Yeah, so we we do a courtesy consultation for estate planning to start. So take us up on that. We have both Zoom meetings as well as office appointments. And you can call us 503-641-6262 or send me an email or visit us on the web, Might and Bell www.mightonbell.com. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, people can reach me at oswegoprivatewealth.com and uh, happy to connect you with Justin uh, if we do some preliminary work in, in advance of that. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it, it's very seamless in working together. Uh, Ryan, um, turn it back over to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, really nice conversation. A lot of value, a lot of strategies and ways to you know, strategically position your estate. Uh, Justin, appreciate you sharing your insights into the matter because yes, I mean, if there's one massive takeaway from the day, it is the fact that estate planning should be that first stop on the road towards business succession and uh, really appreciate the insight today, Justin. Uh, but for our rest of our audience, we appreciate you guys stopping by and spending some time with us as well. If you did take away some value from today's conversation, you learned a thing or two or 10 in today's case, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you, you watched or listened to us on. That way you never miss out on a future conversation between Bob and myself where we dive into these unique realms of wealth management and really bring on some fantastic guests just like Justin to share their insights into a specific matter of wealth management and how it can apply to your financial world. Before Bob, for Justin, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us today on the Oswego Private Wealth Show. Oswego Private Wealth Management podcast may have been previously disseminated by Bob Adritus on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Bob Adritus or his guest as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only an expression of his or his guest's opinion. Madritus' opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Oswego Private Wealth Management nor its affiliates warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Madritus and Oswego Private Wealth Management are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Investment advice offered by Oswego Private Wealth Management and does not guarantee any specific outcome or performance. You must make an independent decision regarding investments and strategies mentioned by Bedritus or a guest. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. This information is for general purposes only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Oswego Private Wealth Management does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice or services. Please consult your legal tax advisor regarding your specific situation.